0: Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, I'm your host, one of your hosts, Nate Larkin, here with the other one of your hosts, Aaron Porter, looking quite dapper and dandy. (laughs) uh, The the short sleeve plaid shirt, you're looking positively millennial. You got the shorts working here and the flip-flops. You can't take California out of you. I,
1: I will just say this was my last shirt in the closet because one of my children—I won't say who—no mm-hmm. uh, matter how many times I say, "Please stop taking my clothes out of my closet," I have no pants left. I have no shirts left. <laughs> this one doesn't fit me. It like it's like billows out at the buttons when I sit down. It's about two sizes too small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It is a slim fit, and you are no longer a slim and yet I had nothing else to wear except uh, <laughs> which the, the two children in the other room right now thought that was the funniest thing when we were in the car yeah. was, they commented actually my son said that's a nice shirt dad I said very uncomfortable son but I had nothing else in my closet and they both thought it was funny because they thought of their other sibling yeah yeah. so All right. anyways thank you I'm, I'm a millennial Californian you're saying yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, you kind of go on and go on and you've, got, you've got the bearded visage, which works. <laughs> you've got the glasses. That you know, Ah. Now now the hat. It's a bit of a Scottish you are like you're, like you're getting ready for the retreat in oh, Scotland. Oh,
1: Can I tell you right now, I was going to bring it? Okay. I got my
0: passport.: Okay, good. I, thought I was afraid you were going to say "kilt. Good.
1: <laughs> passport. I I was sure it wasn't going to come in time, and I at the end of this week I was going to have to call and start uh, going like, where is it, and how do we rush it? Yeah, and it came. All right. So, you know, up till now I was just being, you know, quietly optimistic, but mm-hmm. deep down inside thinking I'm not going to get my passport in time. Now, so it's happening.
0: I, now I'm only going for the weekend. I've, I'm going to hustle back, but you and a few of the other guys are hanging in Edinburgh. Uh, and uh, we have rented a uh, restored brewery <laughs> for you guys to stay in.
1: Well, I mean, it's restored into rooms. Yeah. We're not like each of us gets a keg that <laughs> has been. No, 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 no. But I can just imagine yeah. that,
0: that, that the ambiance of the place is going to remain. It's
1: true. And I love that uh, one of the guys that's going to be staying is one of the original pastor pirate monks when I first put that together in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be so fun.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And meanwhile, uh, plans continue to move apace for the big November retreat here in Tennessee. So uh, yeah, it's a big, it's an exciting season for Samson. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're closer. Well, this, this used to be kind of like the new Jerusalem, you know, the center of the swirling vortex. You had <laughs> to come to Franklin to see it happen. But amazingly now with the virtual meetings, I really feel like there are so many different circles of activity. And also in local meetings. there are places where Samson is making great inroads, and uh, that's another thing that you and I have got to do. And uh, Tom Moka, we got to go out and do a little more uh, travel these days. Oh, it'll be fun, yeah. Yeah, to meet pirate monks in other parts of the country.
1: Come on, both of our work is completely—we yeah, can do it from anywhere. Right. There's yeah. no reason, right? As we long can't as do it. I've got a laptop. I'm good. Exactly. Yeah. As long as I have, I just filtered four things. Never mind. <laughs> Ah. Nobody wants inside that part of my mind.
0: No, we are recording uh, on the Monday after Labor Day. Uh, no, no, after Mother's Day.
1: Yeah, next week's Labor Day. Now you're confusing me. How was Mother's Day?
0: Mother's Day was fantastic. It was really nice. Uh, I We did not uh, go out to eat. I think that's one of the most stressful things you can do on Mother's Day, is yeah. to fight the crowds. It's the busiest restaurant day of the year. Oh, I know.
1: I remember working as a waiter in a restaurant in L.A., uh-huh. and... Man, Mother's Day. That was St. Patrick's Day if you're working in a bar, Mother's Day if you're working in a nice family restaurant. And I was in a Mimi's Cafe in Torrance, California. Yeah, And wow. it was awesome. Oh, the tips.
0: Well, I took my morning walk through Franklin, as I want to do. Uh, on, that Monday, on that Sunday morning, I was alone. And it's amazing. Before the restaurants had opened, lines had formed, long lines, people waiting to, to, you know, to get in on Mother's Day. But uh, I had a lot of smug satisfaction, planned a great
1: menu, and I had Ooh, done what did you? what I did you do? The shop. No, so it was like was, a brunch? It, or was yeah, a, it was a brunch. Okay. It was a brunch
0: and a big spread of make-your-own appetizers. So I had done all the prep work that you could make your own appetizers. Is
1: this just you and Allie, or did you have no, 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 no. Kristen over?
0: Kristen came, and Sam and Dave and the boys. Okay. We, we used Zoom to connect with our other son and his family in Florida. We had a wonderful time.
1: Nice. Very and cool. What, what did you guys well, do? Well, I, I will day? just say this was the first Mother's Day ever that I didn't have to work <gasps> all day. And you a, didn't
0: have to preach that, oh, God, awful, oh, God no, no, save no, me, I, Mother's Day, sermon.
1: I stopped doing special a long time ago. Uh-huh. If you ask anybody who was at either church, uh-huh. Aaron doesn't do blank well. Aaron yeah. doesn't do special well. Oh, okay. So screw Christmas. I did not spend December doing Christmas messages. <laughs> I you was know, the Grinch of non-denominational churches.
0: In the few years that I was pastoring, about a couple of years in, I, I, w- I had a, a, a flash of inspiration, and I invited my wife to speak on Mother's Day.
1: Oh, just, and wow.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, and her most memorable line was, uh, if... <laughs> If she had been Mary on the night of the nativity, there would have been room at the inn. <laughs> uh,
1: but, I, I mean, let's see, Samuel is 19. Uh-huh. This has been 19 Mother's Days. Uh-huh. And uh, some women who listen to this will understand this. Some guys will understand this. Some folks just care about the day. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the day. Like if it's my birthday, but it's an inconvenient day of the week. Sure. And they're like, hey, next Tuesday, can we be nice to you? Like, yeah, be nice to me any particular day within (laughs) like a three-week sphere. Call (laughs) it my birthday. (laughs) I could care less. Yeah. My wife cares about the day. Right. And I have encountered this with lots of couples in coaching. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard where we would try to say, look, the Saturday before Mother's Day will be ours because I'll be working from like 5.30 a.m. to 1. I'll come home tired. I won't be much help, so why don't we give you a whole day? So this was literally the first time since we have had kids because I started being a pastor like three years before. So Jenny got the day. She did. I'm now not going to say certain things. There were good parts to the day. There were good parts to the day. <laughs> That's the most telling statement right there. Uh, no, there were
0: good parts to the day.
1: No, it was, she did exactly what she wanted to do. Okay, so fantastic. And kids made breakfast and we had picnic lunches and hikes and it was good. And fantastic. there was, it was, yeah. So there you go, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, moms who are out there sneaking listening to this men's program. You sneakers, and keep listening. We we love knowing you're out there.
0: Hey, let's take a break when we come back. I got something I want to read to you that came in the mail.
1: Awesome, love it. The sack will be back when we come rack. Oh, I don't, There's man. nothing back was already used. There was nowhere to go.
0: Yeah, <sighs> you got to up your alliteration game, man. You just
1: dang it. Okay. <laughs>
0: Well, we're back. I got uh, I, I got a, uh, a little, uh, I don't know what I'm going to call it. I'll call it a, a, an essay, a testimony, something, uh, a muse from a friend of ours, Jack Williams down in Birmingham, all very right. vulnerable. And I, so I, I read it, was touched by it, got back to him and said, how would you feel about uh, me reading this on the podcast? And he said, by all means, brother, go ahead. Uh, So Jack titled this little piece, Gaming God. Mm. We've all heard the testimonies. I wanted this so badly. This might be a job to get into a certain school, a relationship, or an object of some sort. The testimony goes on. So I just gave it to God, and then he gave it back to me. That's a great testimony as long as God gives it back. But what happens when he doesn't? How's that for a testimony? I wanted this so badly, and I gave it to God, and he took it. That doesn't have quite the same oomph as the first testimony. We don't have to fight our way to the front of the line to give things to God with no expectation of return. Recently, I went through a loss, actually a series of losses. They seemed to mount one on top of the other, and they seemed to compound my dismay and my confusion. As the losses mounted, I found myself looking and holding on to the things that remained, until they didn't. Truthfully, I handled the earlier losses better than I would have ever expected, but the final loss was a real blow. It was the loss of a relationship. Like most of the other losses, this one was unexpected, but it hit me harder than all the others seemed to, even if even if they were combined. I just wasn't prepared for the wave of emotion and despair that followed. Had I made the relationship an idol? Had I sinned and was God trying to get my attention? Was it spiritual discipline? Was God testing my heart to show me what I loved most? Was God saving me from some tragic mistake? I had more questions than I had answers, many more. I struggled to shake the despair and hopelessness that followed. I prayed, I wept, I mourned and lamented. Relief was slow in coming. Some days were better than others, but none of them were very good. Honestly, I was tired of the dark cloud that seemed to be permanently parked over my head. I had this certainty that there was a way out of this mess, that misunderstandings could turn into a deeper, better understanding. On bad days, I felt like nothing in life would ever go right. On good days, I thought everything would work out perfectly. I, of course, defined perfectly as things going the way I wanted them to. Then came Holy Week. I attended my church's Monday, Thursday and Good Friday services. Somewhere during the course of the week, I found myself meditating on Jesus' prayer in the garden, particularly when he asked the Father if the cup of death could pass him by. I was struck by the words in Hebrews 12 that Jesus endured the cross and that he despised the shame of the cross the realization that sometimes things even happened to Jesus that he, as a full human, would have preferred not to experience. I saw with fresh eyes that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and endure the shame and agony of the cross, but only if there was no other way. It was with that backdrop that his his next words, Not my will, but yours be done brought new life to my heart. I knew as I walked through this that God is sovereign. I knew that he is good. I knew that he loved me. But my heart was still broken. I still hurt. But then those words, not my will but yours be done, caught my attention. That became my prayer. It needed to. I was convinced I couldn't change things anyway. Some days, and in some situations, I really struggled to know my own heart. I remember as a kid, doing things I thought would please my parents, not because I loved them and desired to please them, but because I wanted the rewards that I thought were tied to that obedience. as i remember i rem- as a, as a parent, I remember chuckling at my kids as they would try and bargain and manipulate me to get what they wanted. It was if it was as if they thought if they could get me to a certain place of comfort or a certain level of pleasure in them, I would grant their wishes. Just as I did as a child, they practiced this form of manipulation, and like me, they got better at it. Sometimes it even worked for me, and sometimes it worked for them. Then the thought came. Am I trying to manipulate God? Am I... Giving this to God in hopes that he will see, I only want what he wants and then he'll give it back to me? I didn't know the answer to that question. All I could do was pray that prayer and continue to believe in God's sovereignty, his goodness, and in his love for me. What happened next? I keep praying the prayer. I keep believing he's sovereign, good, and loving. keep moving toward it. If I was correct in placing my trust in God's sovereignty, goodness and love, and I was, then I don't have to know what comes next. I can walk into an uncertain future with those facts about God sustaining me until I see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Thanks for sending that
1: in, Jack. Nice. I, I, it's one of the things that i I don't know that we should add anything to it
0: yeah yeah i was I was waiting for some kind of profound response from you, but you just kind of sat there reflectively
1: yeah i i love I love his comparison with his parents, and when he said, you know talked about the manipulation, yeah, yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of maturity, especially if we had good parents mm-hmm. to realize there's no version of Parents that isn't what he described. Yeah, yeah. We're all manipulating in some way that sometimes works for us and sometimes works for the kid. <laughs> and and then we have to reconcile our heavenly Father who is perfect. Yeah. And even the good gifts we give, that we give uh, bread and not stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much more so our Father in heaven. Yeah. And and that's kind of the the journey I was hearing throughout this is is that surrender. To a father that is far better. I mean, that's really what the sovereignty piece is about, not some academic. Oh, so so he must be a reformer. Mm-hmm. Is he a reformed angry man? Is he a ram? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That's not about that. It's about trusting a father, and that's why you know I love
0: that we end every Samson meeting, at least every traditional Samson meeting, the same way that the typical twelve-step with that prayer that he taught us to pray with those crucial opening words, our Father. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I, I will say the order of operation to me is huge. Like, I, I am all for the holiness of God, mm-hmm. but the order in the prayer is, my daddy who's in heaven, your name is so holy. Yeah. And when it starts with, your name is so holy, but you're my dad, yeah. then you have a terrifying... Trembling child. Yeah. Versus a child who climbs up in his daddy's lap and realizes he's the king of the universe. Yeah. And that is a different thing altogether. Wow. Wow. wow.
0: Well, Aaron, we have a, a great guest on tap. I uh, can't wait for our listeners to meet her. Uh, stay with us. You're going to want to hear Kathy with, uh, Reynolds. We're going to pull out the pint
1: glasses and pour right in.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll be right back here on the Pirate Monk podcast. <speaking in Spanish> Welcome back to the Pirate Monk podcast, and we have what I'm sure is to be a fascinating guest. No doubt. Yep. Joining us from uh, outside Houston, Texas, a little town. What a wonderful name is that? What is it? Beach City, Beach Town, Beach Village, Beachville? What is it?
2: Beach City.
0: Beach City. Oh, that just sounds glorious. Kathy Reynolds uh, from the uh, coaching and consulting and comforting and uh, guiding firm of uh, uh, Daring Ventures is with us. That's right. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: I really love to be
0: here with you guys. I really have been looking forward to this conversation because you are somebody who on a daily basis, and by the way, we're, we have the benefit of being able to see you because we're conducting this uh, interview via Zoom, the same platform we use for the virtual Samson meeting. So we get to see your smiling face. And what I love is that it really is. It's a smiling face. It's like you love what you do. I can see it all over you. I do. And yet you walk with couples through some of the hardest conversations they have ever had. Mm-hmm. Um. Couples that uh, have hit the wall, uh, uh, usually around some form of infidelity with one partner or the other, come mm-hmm. staggering into your office, and you and your team members have the privilege and the joy of helping them find a new life. Is that, is that a
1: pretty accurate way to
0: describe what you do?
2: That's a, that's a great way to describe what we do, yes.
1: Mm. How, how did you get into this racket? But what, what's the story behind that? I don't know. Is that where we want to start? I, I want to start there. I know you don't major in that in college. So I you mean,
2: guys are frozen. Am I frozen?
1: No. No, no okay, you're good. not frozen. But we're actually so, we're uh, we're actually just playing the statue game here so we weren't <laughs> frozen, but sometimes we'll just stop like this.
0: Uh throw me
1: off? Did you hear Did you hear Aaron's question?
0: He wants to know how in the how world you I got mean, into this racket. Right.
2: So, um Oh, that's a good story. Um, this was the career that found me. Um, it wasn't what I set out to do. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I had been a stay-at-home mom for 17 years. Um, then I had discovery of my own. Mm-hmm. So I found out that my husband um, had been unfaithful and, in fact, was um, struggling with sexual addiction. Um, we went through... I mean, obviously, I was pretty traumatized at, at the reality of that. I there were no signs. I had no no idea. Mm-hmm. I knew there were problems in our marriage. I knew in my gut something was wrong, but never ever would I have imagined that that would be my story, mm-hmm. and as none of us are. Mm-hmm. So we did. We ourselves went through a therapeutic disclosure process, um, and and it was really a great experience for us. Um, He, of course, as all um, addicts um, do, they have this belief that if their partner really knew them, they would not love them. They would not accept them. They would leave them. And so um, we were very, very connected and close after that experience. Um, as, As odd as it sounds, it was actually validating for me to know that there was something going on beneath the surface that made everything else in our, our life together make sense. Um, so the, the problem that we had was that we didn't have good follow-up support. Um, I was, like I said, extremely traumatized and kind of morphed into a person I didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And he had absolutely no way of knowing how to help me cope with that. Um, we went to another intensive with another therapist out of state, um, just trying to get some help for just learning how to cope with all of this and try to heal our, our marriage. And at the end of that five-day intensive, he um, asked me, he said, okay, so what's your plan B, Kathy? And I said, well, my, my what? I don't, I don't have a plan B. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. That's my, that's my plan B. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, you've been waiting for him to come riding in on his white horse for a long time. And he hadn't shown up yet and he might, but what are you going to do to take care of yourself? If he doesn't, hadn't gone to college. I've been a mom since I was 19 years old. Um, and I just, that's the first time that I was really faced with that reality. Um, and I, I said, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and he introduced me to the idea of coaching, coaching other women. Mm. So, um, came back to Texas after that five months later, we separated. Um, we ended up getting a divorce, getting a divorce. I went, got my coaching certification, went through, um, training with, um, an organization. I'm sure you've probably heard of AppSATS.
0: Sure. Great organization. Sure
2: trained under um, Barb Steffens and um, you know, I always held hope that my husband would choose recovery. Um, He didn't, he kind of walked away from recovery. So I, you know, walked this tightrope of moving forward, taking care of myself, healing myself, Mm. um, and, and holding out hope that he would do the right thing and always hoped and prayed honestly reconciliation. And, um, as it turns out, two and a half years into our divorce, we did reconcile. Mm. Um, We got remarried. We've been remarried for two and a half years. Same amount of time we were divorced. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, and he's doing great recovery. He's an incredible husband. Um, just, you know, hadn't hit his bottom, hit his bottom and, and it's been nothing but Uh, Moving forward, since so, in addition to what I do here professionally, my husband and I also have ministry through our church where we also um, work with couples and um, walk alongside of them on this journey. We're very fortunate that we have um, support from our pastor, our
1: church staff. So, this is obviously a really just very thumbnail sketch, but what happened? You've got the disclosure. You've got the, let's try to work through this. How long did that happen before the separation?
2: Nine months.
1: Okay. So nine months and then who decided we need to separate?
2: I did actually. Okay. So was what,
1: what was the thing that, that you said, okay, I, I I'm going on this journey and it's not working. Mm-hmm. I need to step away. I'm not saying I'm going to divorce. We're just separating. Yeah. What, what was it that made you think that was the right answer?
2: Well, you know, um, a part of um, learning how to heal from infidelity relationally involved boundaries, obviously. And Mm -hmm. my boundaries were that, you know, he be in um, therapy with someone trained in sexual addiction. Because, you know, if you don't get to the bottom of what caused it, how do you know you're not going to go back? How do I know you're not going to? blow my life up again, um, to be in support. Cause you know, I'm a big believer that you have to have community. Um, so neither of those things were happening. Um, so he wasn't, he, he didn't obviously know how to help me heal. And the turning point for me, even aside from those is I didn't like who I was becoming. And I got to the place to where I realized if I'm going to heal and he's not going to be a part of it, I'm going to have to do it outside of this relationship because I just turned into somebody. I didn't know I was angry uh, and I was never an angry person before, just completely unregulated with my emotions, um, triggered very easily. So it was just unhealthy for us and for our children because we also have two boys. Yeah. Um, so, and it, and it really was um, hopefully, you know, Let's get some space between us because, you know, somebody's going to die and it's not going to be me Mm -hmm. (laughs) if things keep going like this. Um, And the thing is, is when I asked him to um, to leave the home, he left with the clothes on his back, went and got an apartment, went and furnished it. So the reality of it is he was just waiting. He was just waiting for me. To pull the plug and give him that out, because the shame was just too much. He just couldn't tolerate it.
1: Right. So were you hoping at that point? Okay, we're going to separate. He's going to see how much she wants to be a part of this and come back, and then all of a sudden move towards divorce, or did you know? Okay, the, I, I'm tired of being this this probation officer in the house saying check in at these times, and I'm always angry. I'm I'm done.
2: <laughs> well. I didn't ask him to leave in hopes that he would, you know, see the light and come back because I knew that wasn't going to happen. It didn't work that way. And I I understood that. Um, I was hoping that. Just the distance between us, just calming things down a little bit. um, Maybe damage control would be a better word not to cause further harm. Um, to give us some space to heal, to try to regroup and figure out what can we do? Cause I know there's not one size fits all. And I was willing to work with him, um, to find what, what's going to work for his recovery, but I had to feel safe and he didn't create any safety for me. And so the only way I could have that was him outside of the home. And it was instant. I mean, instantly I felt like this <sighs> relief when he wasn't there um, at the same time, intense grief and sadness. Um, so what actually caused the divorce was, um, a few months after, um, I asked him to move out. Our son was actually getting married and, um, part of my husband's issues involved controlling with money. So he, he, he literally cut me off financially. And that was, that was my bottom line. And it's interesting because my bottom line really had nothing to do with sexual behaviors. My bottom line was if he no longer supports me financially and our family financially, I, you know, I live in Texas. We don't have a legal separation. The only way I could protect myself was to file for divorce. Mm -hmm. And we tried numerous times after that to reconcile, but um, he just wasn't ready.
1: So then fast forward to that time. You've been divorced for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been in contact the whole time? It was like a slow movement towards, cause I I love these stories and and they aren't as uncommon yeah. as people maybe think. Um, but what you were talking the whole time or there was actually a, no, we're divorced. We're probably never going to get back together. And then, you know, your twin daughters trick you by switching spaces and, <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, well, you know, people ask us that a lot what happened? What happened? Well, what was it? You know, and a lot of people say, Well, did he get into good recovery and then you know come and you know win you back? It was absolutely nothing like that. Uh, you know, for me, I felt like it was a Hosea story. Mm-hmm. I felt like God just called me to not let go, not to give up hope, keep extending it, keep hoping he's ready, but be willing to, you, you have to take care of yourself. I still had to move forward, extend this olive branch, keep moving forward. So it was lots and lots of uh, rejection. Um, he was just angry and bitter, but you know, I think going back to the whole disclosure process, that was the most authentic I had ever seen him, the closest I'd ever felt to him. So I felt like in the those short time, I really saw his authentic self. Um, and I knew, I mean, God did a lot of work with me through our divorce. Because if I if I believe what I say I believe, I have to believe he's really a good man. You know, he's, he's really a really good man. He's not a narcissist. I mean, I know that there are there are narcissistic personality disorder out there, but he's not that it's shame. Um, it's his God journey. So what, what really led to the reconciliation for us was, um, just a conversation. I had actually met somebody and, you know, I had never even entertained the thought of dating throughout this entire process. And, um, as it turned out, he probably was unfaithful to his wife (laughs) as it turns out. And it just infuriated me. I was so angry and I thought, you know what? I'm never going to be able to trust the man. I'm just always going to have these, these lenses on. I'm going to look at every man out there like that. And, and I was angry and I thought, you know, this is not the story I wanted. I didn't want to move on with another man. So, um, I actually, my son was staying with him. It was his weekend and I had needed to bring him something and, and he, um, met me at the door and he could tell I was upset. And he asked me if, if I was okay. And I said, no, I'm not. I was mad. I actually went over there just to kind of yell at him a little bit for ruining my life. <laughs> and, um, we, we, uh, we talked for probably the whole entire night civilly for the first time in, gosh, you know, probably three years. Uh, and it was nice and it just carried on from there. We just continued to really talk and share. And, you know, he's got his, you know, story alongside of this that, you know, God had constantly um, never let up on him. And he he said there was a place in, in his rent house that he would go every day and he could not escape it. And God just met him there and he'd say, Did you really do everything? Did you really do everything? And it was in the bathroom. So he could not just not go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> so yeah. So that's that's how it started. Wow. And he wasn't sober. You know, he had um true to what my fears were, um, he had been acting out the entire time that we were divorced. Mm-hmm. So when we reconciled, and I knew that it was going to be real, and I, you know, I knew that his heart was truly in it. I wasn't looking for him to be perfect; I was looking for him mm-hmm. to be humble and to truly want, you know, to 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 work towards healing and, and reconciliation with me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I knew that that was who was showing up, and I, I just knew it in my spirit, and I trusted that in myself, um, and that cost me a lot. Um, cause I did not have support mm-hmm. when, when I told our, our, our friends and, um, even family that we were reconciling, I did not have support. We so, pretty much lost everything. So
1: can, can I ask what, what are we talking about here? Was this simply pornography? Not simply, but only pornography. Was this acting out in affairs, long-term affairs, short-term? And if it's not okay, I can edit this whole part out where I'm asking you. No, he's
2: an open book. We've we've actually we've been interviewed together. Um, No, just chronic adultery, lots of affairs, pornography, um, you know, anonymous hookups, sexting, pretty much everything. Um, Even even a little dab in prostitution. So
1: So. when you say you didn't need him to be perfect, you needed to be humble. Is that what? I mean, at what point, because at full disclosure, you must've been like, wait, what, what is this life I'm living in? And then you got to this place where you said, oh, okay, I understand this enough that I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for honesty and humility in this. I mean, that's, that is a radical mind transformation that we've skipped over entirely, but it seems amazing.
2: Right. So that's where you kind of insert coaching. Mm-hmm. and walking other couples through this process. Cause during this time of our divorce is when I, you know, I met Jake and I, the way I met Jake Porter is, you know, I was looking for um, therapists that were close by that I felt I could trust to send my clients to. And so I interviewed him and we just started um, referring back and forth. And, and then some of our clients, they needed a disclosure. And it just kind of morphed from there. So as I began to do that work and, and be on the outside of it, looking in at another couple, um, and then just working with Jake because he's brilliant. I learned so much from him about the addicts and, and their their trauma. And um, I just, it, it really softened my heart towards my husband. It, it just created a, a compassion. Um in me for him and combined with my own therapy. I mean I went through years of therapy to heal from all of this stuff. Um so it and then God obviously you know I mean he was what I really clung to um during all of this. And so it was it was really just experiencing it with other couples, mm. you know, step 12, walking with other people through it. Yeah. Um, my own healing journey, personally, um, understanding how to, um, keep myself grounded, not go into trauma. Uh, so that, that pretty much did it. I think that's why I call it my Hosea story. Um, I I feel like I just, I had to be okay. And then I went back and I got
0: him. That's what a beautiful story and and what a testament to the fact that we are, we, we experience so much healing as we participate in the healing journey of others.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, so uh, these days, uh, Catherine, you get, to, um, you get to be in the middle of very difficult, sacred conversations, talking about the most uh, intimate details of people's lives, the disclosure of some of the most shameful things, that people have ever disclosed, Uh, you have to or you get to help them create a safe space. You're an empathetic presence and an empathetic witness and a bit of a guide down these terrifying corridors of disclosure. Um, Can you describe for us a little bit of what you typically or very often see in the couples that come to you for help? wow
2: um so i see a lot of shame Mm -hmm. with the addicts just just i mean they're it's like their tea bags just steeped in it when they walk in sure um and then i see um you know lots of anger and pain um in the wives yeah and then i just i see a lot of um just desperation. They're just desperate for answers, Mm -hmm. desperate for help. Um, and you know, most of these couples, I I say most of them, all of these couples, when they come in for the disclosure, they want it to work. You know, these women don't want a divorce. They, they really want it to work. And these, and, and the husbands, they, they, they want to heal. They don't, they don't want to act out anymore. So I see a lot of, um, just, longing for someone to come alongside of them and help them. Um, So in the in the process process itself, um, you know, it's 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 multi-dimensional. There's a lot of different aspects to the to the whole process. Um, You know, I I coach the women um through a series, asking a series of questions, coming up with questions, um, those burning questions that, that they've had in their mind. Um, and not around sexual acting out. I, I like to gear those questions more towards betrayal or lies. Because most of the time, that's what hurts the most. It's not even the acting out. It's just the betrayal. It's the deception mm-hmm. of knowing, oh my gosh, all these years you looked me in the face and you've just lied to me. And everything is a lie. Our whole life is a lie. I don't even know who you are. So I, I help them go back through their history and and think about times that their gut just kind of told them something wasn't right. Yeah. Or I think they are lying to me about this. And um, they have an opportunity to ask those questions at disclosure. And what that does is it really validates for those women that, you know what, I can trust my gut. I, I knew something wasn't right. And if I can learn how to trust that again, then I can protect myself and I can protect this relationship. So I kind of go at it both angles, you know. If if you learn how to listen to your intuition again, the Holy Spirit is what I call it. um, Then then not only do you protect yourself, but you protect the relationship. If you don't let that in, and and trust but verify,
1: trust but verify. (laughs) That's kind of my. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, you know, I think every every guy who has even felt bad about the spot he's in in addiction has automatically and without training figured out a way to make his wife disbelieve her gut, to make it, to, to somehow train her to believe it must be about her. That, that right. is natural and common. Mm-hmm. Um but boy to see it from the other side, what you're talking about, the collateral damage of what happens when a person no longer believes they can trust their gut. I mean, that's that's a deep that's a deep wound that goes into a lot of areas of life.
2: Right. That's right. And that's a lot of the work I do. I mean, the the term for that is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of coaching around and, and educating around gaslighting and what is it and um, you know, one of the things I discourage is don't go to Google and look up gaslighting because then you're just going to be even more pissed off at your husband if you do that because <laughs> it vilifies them. And, and, and I, I really, um, you know, I, I, I really, truly respect these men. And I, and I understand that it's, it's self-preservation. They don't want to hurt. They, they're not even aware that that's really what they're doing. They're just trying to survive. Um, so I, 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 use educating them about the, um, the reasons behind the behavior, um, to, cause I think it helps her heal and it also helps, you know, cultivate, um, her ability to eventually find compassion. It doesn't always happen right away, mm-hmm. um, but eventually, you know, if you understand the why, behind the behaviors, then you're, you're going to be much more able to be willing to try and, and heal the relationship. So the gaslighting is a big, big part of what I do. Educating.
0: Kathy, I think I caught a phrase earlier. Uh, did I catch this right? Did you say, uh, did you use the phrase therapeutic disclosure? Or mm-hmm. did I make that up in my? Okay. I did that right. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure uh, Aaron is has the same experience I do. I, I mean, over the years, uh, I've known any number of guys who, uh, in a fit of, uh, I don't know, kind of a cocktail of shame and optimism, hope or whatever, have uh, come home and recklessly disclosed. To a spouse, just t-boned her without any warning, uh, vomited all over her. Uh, what he's done without anybody there, because he really wants to be an honest man and wants to clean up the relationship, and in the process has done so much damage and very often
1: irreparably harmed the marriage. Just blown it up. Well, pause here on this. I know where you're going. What you're gonna you're gonna want her to say something about like how to do it better and not. but yeah, but yeah, therapeutic. I love, I'm,
0: I am, uh, you're against t boning, huh?
1: You're against t boning, no no t boning, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but unless it's
2: steak, you're eating, of course,
1: yes, exactly. Cook properly, but here's what I'm thinking Nate's out of town next week. Like, I want to hear more about your story. What are you doing next week? Because I want to do the whole time on. like warnings for men <laughs> advice for women experience like this is the wrap-up we got like five minutes that is not enough time to answer oh, what we'll he's have about to very ask angry listeners I if we stop here. i want to stop my husband's really the rock star he really should have
2: him on too okay There's,
1: can the, uh, all right can both you, both you the... next week uh wearing leather pants as a rock star with him and you <laughs> something I don't, think, on the f- I don't
2: think he would sport leather. <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: these oh, are the he moments went, he for you...
2: some bike shorts. He rides bicycles.
1: Well, that's that's close enough.
0: But I love the idea. May I finish my thought, please? <laughs> I finish, love please. the idea that disclosure can be therapeutic. That it, there's it actually, can. yeah, that uh, with uh, the skilled guidance of caring, empathic empathetic, uh, people, this can actually be a healing process. Uh, I'm so taken by your description of your experience of your husband's disclosure done with the help of uh, some other people that you'd never felt closer to him.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. And, and I tell, I tell my partners that, you know, you'll probably feel closer than you ever have. And I, I I want them to have permission to feel that because oftentimes women have this idea that I can't let you get close to me because I'm supposed to be mad at you. And I help them know, you know what you, you can choose to let it in and you can allow yourself to be present in the moment and be close to your husband, there's no, there's no harm in that. And then if he ticks you off tomorrow, it's okay. You could pull back a little bit, but let, let yourself experience the closeness. You don't have to have your guard up all the time. You can put it up when you need it, but it's okay to, to, you know, open the gate and, and just let it in. But that's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah.
1: And well, if you don't say.
2: have somebody giving you permission to do these things, you don't, you just don't know what to do.
1: Right, And it's hard to recognize and as for men or women in a situation where our desire as humans to punish the other person is actually eclipsing what is better for us that to open that door and say, this is a good moment. But screw them, they did this, and I'm going to stick it to them a little bit longer. Well, that's, that's just vengeance, and even though it feels like I have a right to that, that's still not helpful, not to you. You know, even forget them. It's not helpful to you. So I love what you're saying because it's a, it's a hard truth when we when we burn for vengeance in those moments, but we don't want to call it vengeance. It's righteous. It's righteous. They deserve it. So that's... and, and you
2: know and it's it's really more than vengeance most of the time I think it gets to a point where it's vengeance but early early on it is really traumatic and it's trauma and part of that trauma is you're just i mean you're you're, as Jake calls it, our functional adult brain, our thinking brain, it just goes offline and, and somebody else takes over our monkey brain. And we're just like running from tigers and bears Mm -hmm. and the threat, the tiger and the bear is, is our husband. So if, if I went into fight as a trauma response, so I would go at him, I would just yell at him. And I was, that just wasn't who I was. So part of my work in helping the guys is, you know, who was your wife before this? You know, my husband slept. I remember one night he slept in another bedroom with a chair up against the door. And the next morning I said, why Why'd you do that? Because I thought I was going to wake up and you were going to be slitting my throat. (laughs) So, and that's not who I was. I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to have vengeance, but I was just in trauma.
1: Yeah, but isn't isn't that amazing how the thing that you described that can trigger that? Is the feeling of closeness and intimacy that all of a sudden that feels like it's opening up the doors to vulnerability. And that's the most terrifying thing to be open. Like, please just the most- let the walls. Yeah. Let the walls be up. Uh, so what a, what an awesome thing to even help people have permission to have those moments. That's, a, that's huge. You know, we have
2: a saying and it's choose connection. That's our saying at Daring Ventures. is choose because that's what we were created for connection Wow. Uh, with God, ourselves, and others, starting with our, our partner.
0: You know, I feel like Allie and I fumbled our way to connection. We didn't have, uh, you know, veteran experienced people. To right. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, I'm happy for where we are. And if we had to come the way we came to get to where we are, that's fine. Uh, but I'm wondering, could the trip have been a little shorter if yeah. we had been around there? Well, uh, this sounds like a great setup for the next show, Aaron.
1: All right. So are we are going to make this happen? Either you and me or you, me, and uh, Mike Shorts, man?
0: I'll make it happen. Okay. Okay.
1: okay. Right. <laughs> so part two will be next week while Nate's in California uh, <laughs> celebrating our 41st wedding anniversary. That's why Oh, I'm really? Talk. Yeah. I'm Congratulations. Taking-
2: yeah. I just love your sweet wife. I follow her
0: on Facebook. She's <laughs> precious. <laughs> She's fantastic, she, and I'm so blessed. And yeah, so, yeah, we're going offline for a week. We're going to be out there in California incommunicado just just to do.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Good for
1: you. All right, so part two, next week, we we barely should even say goodbye because before you know it, we'll be doing this again, and it'll be awesome. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring another co-host in. Maybe I won't. Maybe I just want to do it by myself. Who knows? I don't know. I got the kids in the other room right now. Maybe I'll bring them in next week. No, that'd be weird. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but anyways. Okay, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, by
0: the way, between now and then, uh, uh, there could very well be listeners who would like to contact you. What is the best way for them to reach you? Okay,
2: the best way would be email. No and that's Kathy, K A T H Y, at daringventures.com.
1: All right. And uh, if you want to write to us with questions for that conversation, if there's enough questions, we'll just make it the entire hour. Oh, that's a good idea. So yeah. just send those questions
0: to Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Thank you so much, Kathy Reynolds. Until next time. Uh, we're going to say goodbye, but uh, Aaron, we'll see you next week, and I will be listening.
1: Yeah, well, we're just ending the segment. We're coming back in a minute. So we will be right back on the Pirate Monk podcast. <laughs> And we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. I'm excited for part two. Wow, that
0: was kind of that was wonderful. We had this hole in the schedule, and you expert, you saw the opportunity and you filled the hole in the schedule in what I am <laughs> sure, what I am sure is going to be a fantastic episode.
1: I have no doubt. How could it not be?
0: Yeah. Now I'm intrigued. You're toying with the idea of of replacing me next week with a, with a co-host
1: uh yet do you have some candidates in mind I was just going to walk around the street and be like hey you
0: <laughs> <laughs> want to be famous
1: yeah <laughs> worst comes to worst i'll find someone who needs like 5 bucks okay and be like you can do this cuz that's right. it's not nearly as hard as people think it is <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't know if they think it's hard actually yeah. that was that was an assumption no i i don't know i have a couple ideas okay but uh, Well, listeners,
0: do uh, mark your calendars and tune in next week to find out who the co host is, who's
1: sitting in this chair at the Pirate Podcast. And if I can't find one, I will talk in two different voices. So, <laughs> it'll be fine.
0: And, and, and to repeat, by the way, that contact information if you would like to have your voice heard on next week's episode and you moved quickly, you can send us a question or a comment to podcast at gmail.com. Well, until next time, actually, oh, until the time did after we? Did next, we decide
1: what? that I should put the, so we had the letter from our yeah. listener last yeah. time that didn't make it up because I didn't have it in time.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, 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 yes. You that, know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh yeah. We're we're talking about uh, the poem, the wonderful poem Yep. that came to us from, uh, you should have given me a little lead time because I'm going to pull it back up again here. <laughs> well, we got lots of response on that uh, uh yeah okay the singing warrior poem that was sent to us by Paige yeah uh, we got we got quite a few requests for it you had kind of hinted that you'd put it in the show
1: notes yep but I didn't have it at the time but I will have it for this one so I will put this in on the uh, the notes of this show so those of you that wanted the What was it called? The The Singing Singing Warriors. Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Singing Warriors. It will be on this show. Okay. And those of you that listened to the last show, uh, if you haven't listened to this one, just know it's here and it'll be... (laughs) I don't know. I'm out.
0: There's a problem. There's a time travel problem right there. I I live in a fluid reality. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, until another time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on The Pirate Monk i